I want to thank you all for your tremendous generosity toward the nursing homes that we are taking care of this season. I asked the activities director at Crestview, could we do something different this year? And she said, oh no, they're still talking about the party you did last year. They want a Christmas party like you did last year. So that's what we're doing at Crestview. And we packed 100 bags. Some of the helpers are right in this room. On Friday, we packed 100 bags for 80 residents and 20 staff at Crestview. And so we're doing an actual party. They are doing something different at Quality Care. To my understanding, you'll be walking the halls, singing and handing out cookies and fruit juices and things like that. And so they also have Christmas bags. 80 residents for them as well. I don't know if they're packing for staff or not. And Joyce and I have also decided that if there's anything over, we're going to take Christmas bags to our Highland shut-ins and those that are in nursing homes. So, um, you know, because they often do have family or friends that check on them, we want to take care first of the nursing home people that don't have that. Many of them don't have family or friends. And this is the most lonely time of the year for them. So thank you for making it a blessing. Thank you for all that you've given. It's been tremendous. I was doing last-minute shopping on Thursday, and I got a text from Ken Kelheffer saying, Janet, there are more goodie bags here in the office for you. <laughs> I had to go by and get them before I shopped further so I wouldn't duplicate. So thank you so much. You guys are amazing, really. The generosity of this church is just amazing and has had a history of generosity. It's not just new generosity. It sees it's the Lord has blessed and the Lord has been blessed by the Highland people for many years. Okay, so what we're going to look at today is when was Jesus born? And uh, the, the bigger question is when is he going to come again? And we probably are not going to touch on that, seeing as we don't know. But we do have ideas. Uh, growing up, we have ideas about Christmas and Jesus' birth. But some of the things that we believe aren't exactly how they were because we see things from a Western mindset rather than a Middle Eastern mindset. So as we look at the scriptures today, I'm going to be giving you some information from a Middle Eastern uh, point of view. I'm going to be sharing information from uh, two rabbis that I have got some information from. One is Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Probably many of you have read his books, Jonathan Kahn. And the other one is Rabbi Sobel, who is less well-known. Both are very strong believers in Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, teach the Word of God with a great anointing and great insight. And I'll also share some thoughts by a student of the stars in history, a lawyer named Frederick Larson. So before I get started, let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful that you came. And it really doesn't matter when you came, we're just glad you came. That you stepped into history, human history, and you brought about a new covenant. And you are the mediator of that covenant with better promises. And we are so grateful to belong to you. We're so glad you called us by name. And today as we look at the scripture, Holy Spirit, would you give us insight and revelation into your word? Would you teach us? We sit at your feet, Holy Spirit, to be taught, to learn, to be wise as we rightly discern the word of truth. I pray that life will be imparted 
and that, uh, Lord, the issues of our own hearts that need to be aligned with your word and with your life and your will, would you do that in this season? Could this be a season of alignment, not only in our thinking, but in our being and in our living? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start with the prophecy about the Messiah's birth. Yes, sir. Reuven, can you text Ken Kelheffer or Josh and ask him to do something about it? They're, they're kind of, sometimes you can touch all this and it doesn't make a bit of difference, but I, I will. In the hopes that, now see, this, this one's off. This one's off. So if we, what, what happens is we text Ken Kelheffer and he goes on his phone and he does something to it. So it's all electronic now. So you're welcome to try to adjust that one, but I'll just tell you it doesn't usually work. All right, see how quick that was? Praise the Lord. Bob prayed and it was done. Okay, sorry about the inside weather, guys. Let's go to Micah chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 6. Micah is one of the minor prophets, and he comes after the book of Jonah, right before the book of Nahum, Nahum. Micah 5, verse 2. <clears throat> Micah 5, 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah. Ephratah is the region, the district where Bethlehem was. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So he says, you, Bethlehem, although you're small, in the midst of all these others of the tribe of Judah, out of you will come to me a ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from of old, from everlasting. So that connects us to Psalm 90. If you'll turn to Psalm 90, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Psalm 90, 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so back in Micah 5.2, he says, Whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The ruler to be born in Bethlehem was from everlasting. He was God, he was eternal, and he entered into human history as a man, Jesus of Nazareth. He was pre-incarnate prior to coming here. And if you ever read sometimes in the Old Testament when it talks about the angel of the Lord with a capital A, that was usually Jesus pre-incarnate. Or the man who wrestled with, who would he wrestle with? Jacob. That was Jesus pre-incarnate. So he, he was from of old. He has been before history began and he will continue beyond history it never ends. It's going to go on and on. So that is the one we're talking about. Luke 2. Now let's go to Luke 2. Luke 2, verse 1. 
Luke 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. That means the city of his forefathers. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to a city of David, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem, it's about six miles south of Jerusalem. It is 80 miles from Nazareth, so it would have taken them uh, four days on foot or with a donkey to get there. Verse 6 says, So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in, in that day, was the guest chamber of the family home. There was no room for them. If you can think that Joseph was from the lineage of David, everyone had to return to the city of their forefathers. So everyone related to David had come back to Bethlehem. And there were still some living there, but all the, the home guest chambers would have been full with many other relatives. They get there, the only thing left would be a different place, which we're going to look at now. So we tend to picture Jesus being born in a stable, but evidence shows that he was actually born in a cave, the birthing place for lambs. Lambs were born in caves. Bethlehem was the place where lambs were raised for the temple sacrifices. Mangers were their feeding troughs. And if you go to Bethlehem today and you visit the Church of the Nativity, you'll see that it's a large Orthodox church built over a cave believed to be Jesus' birthplace. The lambs were born in a cave to protect them against hot weather and cold weather. The caves were kept ritually pure so that the lambs born in them would be pure and able to be sacrificed later. They were wrapped in swaddling cloths, mainly their legs, a little bit their bodies, so that they wouldn't bump around in the cave and develop blemishes that would keep them from being a pure sacrifice. The infant Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. It's likely that the cloths were old priestly garments that were repurposed and used for sacrificial lambs. So Jesus was born in a lambing cave in Bethlehem. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths that were prophetic of his death and burial because he was wrapped in similar cloths. His body was wrapped in these cloths to be buried in. Also prophetic of his eternal priesthood, wrapped in priestly garments and eventually would be our eternal high priest. He was born at the time when the sacrificial lambs were born, at the place where they were born, and of course he was to be the sacrificed lamb of God. Verse 8 says, There were in the same country, that means the same region, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So these 
shepherds were Levitical shepherds. They weren't normal shepherds. They were Levitical shepherds from the tribe of Levi whose duty was to raise the sacrificial lambs. Rabbis in the Talmud, those are the ancient writings of the rabbis, they say that the shepherds were only out in the fields from March into the next rainy season, which is autumn. The rainy season pretty well begins in Israel around late October, early November. So they would have been out in the fields only during this time, somewhere between March and maybe October. They were out in the fields at night uh, only one time in the year, and that was in the spring when the lambs were born. That's the only time that they were that attentive to the flock. They had to make sure that the, the sheep about to give birth would be in the caves and could give birth in the caves and be safe in there. So lambs are only born naturally in the spring. I know now they do some artificial insemination and they're born at other times, but naturally lambs are only born in the spring. They're not born year-round like humans are. They're born in March or April in the month of Nisan. That's how God planned it. The month of Nisan is, is one of the Hebrew months on the calendar. We're going to be looking more at that in a minute. <clears throat> So many people have questioned the December 25th date of Jesus being born, and for good reason. It's freezing weather in Israel. They would not have been out in the freezing weather at night in the fields with their flocks. They wouldn't have their fields, their flocks at night out there, and they themselves would not be out there at night in the freezing weather. Some believe that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in the fall, but he actually could not have been born then because all the men had to be in Jerusalem for every major feast, of which Feast of Tabernacles is one. So if he was born at Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus would have, I mean, Joseph would have had to be in Jerusalem with all the males who had to present themselves before the Lord. He would not have been with Mary in Bethlehem when the baby was born. So let's read on in Luke uh, 2, verse 9. <clears throat> and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a, ba a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God. You know, these, this could have been thousands. Multitude was, was often thousands. Jesus fed a multitude, 5,000 men plus women and children. So if you can just picture thousands of the heavenly hosts surrounding these shepherds, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
So the shepherds found Jesus in the city of David, Bethlehem, wrapped like a newborn lamb in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Bethlehem is pronounced Beit Lech Lechem in Hebrew. Beit Lechem. Beit means house. Lechem means bread. So Jesus was born in the house of bread. He is the bread of life. And he was laying in a feeding trough when they found him. So you can see the symbolism that God all put all together there. All God ordained. All major events in Jesus' life took place on holy feast days. Jesus fulfilled the holy days by fulfilling the theme of that day. He died on Passover as God's Passover lamb. He rose again on the feast of first fruits where the first fruit is lifted up from the earth and presented to God. Jesus was lifted up and rose again from the dead as new life. Fifty days later on the feast of Shavuot, he poured out his Holy Spirit. We call that Pentecost. So all of these major feasts that were major in the life of Jesus. So he had to be born on a significant day. What month of the year has to do with birth or with new beginnings? It's the month of Nisan. We find that in Exodus 12, verse 2. Now, it's not going to be written uh, Nisan there, but if you want to look at that verse, Hebrews, um, I'm sorry, Exodus 12, 2 says, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And he goes on to say, you'll take a lamb, you'll examine the lamb for four days, then you will um, sacrifice the lamb, it will be the Passover lamb. And he goes on to explain the Passover. And Passover is always in the month of Nisan. And so that whole chapter in Exodus 12 is about, it's based in the month of Nisan. And he says, uh, you know, that's the beginning of the year. So the first of Nisan is the beginning of the Hebrew year. It's when the Hebrew calendar year begins. If you have a Hebrew calendar, it will always begin with Nisan 1. Nisan means the beginning. It's not a holy day, so Joseph did not have to be in Jerusalem with the men as required for holy feast days. He could be in Bethlehem with Mary. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2. So now we know what month Jesus was uh, born in Nisan, the first of Nisan. And we're going to um, talk a little bit more about that. I love how God puts everything together. Because it's not just that now we're looking back on history and we see how God put everything together. But it's also that we get to look forward, that God is putting all things together for the return of Jesus, just as he did to put all things together for his first coming. <clears throat> Matthew 2, 1 through 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So who were the wise men? Daniel 2 verse 48 says the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts 
and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. That was in the 6th century B.C. The wise men were magi, probably with a Jewish heritage and trained by disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of Daniel. You know, when, when all of these Jews were taken captive from the Babylonians and they were taken to Babylon, which included the three men in the fiery furnace and Daniel and many others, they, they reproduced and they lived there for years. And so there were still Jewish people there in Iraq, Babylon, Iraq. And some of these, with Jewish descent, became the Magi. So Daniel had prophesied the Messiah's coming countdown. If you read the book of Daniel, you see he prophesied when the Messiah would be coming. And so he for sure revealed to the wise men that he was training an approximate time when the Messiah would appear. There was an Eastern school of Magi. Isn't that interesting? I've never heard of that before. An Eastern school of Magi in Babylon, Iraq. And these were the scientists and the astrologers of the day. And so some of them were probably, for sure, Jewish, Jewish descent. All right, let's read verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> I know you know the whole story, so I'm just reading specific verses. When they heard the king, these are the wise men, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now you notice they did not come before a baby, they came before a child. They had been traveling for quite a while, and Jesus by this time was a toddler. He was a young child. He was not in a cave any longer. He was in a house. They came into a house where the young child was. We actually don't know how many wise men came. We tend to think three because we have three of them in our manger scenes, <clears throat> and that's what's always presented. But, and, and because they presented three different types of gifts. But it's possible that there were many more wise men who traveled together from Iraq. They usually traveled in big groups for safety. And, and here's an interesting verse. It's a prophecy about the Magi. It's in Isaiah 60, verse 6. And it says, The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries, those are young camels, of Midian and Ephah, those from Sheba shall come. This is Isaiah 60, verse 6. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. They shall bring gold and incense, frankincense, and they will proclaim the praises of the Lord. They got there before Jesus, and they worshiped him, and they presented before him gold and incense. And, the, and praise and worship besides the myrrh. So uh, I think it's interesting to think that there were probably a lot of wise men who came on these camels, and no wonder it said Herod was afraid and all Jerusalem with him. 
It wasn't just three guys that went before Herod and spoke to him privately. I think they saw a lot of camels come in with a lot of wise men, and they said, what is happening? What is going on? It, it shook up the whole city. All Jerusalem was afraid. So Frederick Lawson, who has studied the stars, especially the Bethlehem star, say that the Magi would have arrived around December 25th. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but they probably arrived around December 25th. And, on the, and that would so make it a perfect time for us to present before him our gold, our treasures, our love, our worship, just like they did. So when Jesus was born, King Herod ruled Judea. He ignored God's laws. He collaborated with the Romans. He was known to be a nominal Jew, but actually he was not Jewish by birth. He became Jewish. That angered a lot of the Jews who disliked him because he was so anti-God's law and because he worked with the Romans. He was probably, he was fully Arab, and he was probably an Edomite from the Dead Sea area. He was brutal. He was paranoid. He killed one of his wives. He killed three of his sons. And he's the one who called for the slaughter of every child age two and under, in Bethlehem and all of its surrounding regions. Let's read that, verse 16. <clears throat> Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, because you remember the Lord spoke to him and said, go home a different way. Don't tell Herod where the child is. So when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So that means that he determined when the wise men came and what they said that Jesus would have been born two years before. Herod died in 4 B.C., according to most historians. After he had all these children killed, he died actually just a few months later, a very painful, terrible death. And uh, Jesus would have been born two years prior to, sit to 4 B.C., which would have been about 6 B.C. So why do we have B.C. and A.D. when we say Jesus was born and that's what separated the two? Because the man in charge of creating that in 525 A.D., looked back and made a mistake. And he thought Jesus was born at this time, but actually Jesus had been born about six years previous to that. So Jesus was really born about 6 B.C. Now, interesting, around 6 B.C., there was a convergence of planets. Jupiter, the largest planet, Saturn, Venus, and Mars, and they produced a brilliant light that looked like a superstar. Modern astronomers say that a planet convergence like this only happens once every 6,000 years. Last time it happened was in 6 B.C. in the spring in the month of Nisan. The Magi saw the star in the stars. The Magi, remember, they were astronomers. They saw in the stars a combination. They saw all these constellations. You remember Pastor John's message last Sunday out of Revelation 12, the constellations and how they revealed the man-child being born from the woman and, and all that. If you didn't 
hear him preach that, you can watch it online in the archives. So putting this together, they, what they saw was a combination of coronation, the Lion of Judah, and the birth of a king. They put that together and they decided the Jewish Messiah, who would be king, was born in Judea. So they followed his star to worship him. They were probably Hebrews because they traveled so far and so long to worship a Jewish king. And then let's go to Luke chapter 1. Going to read verse 5 and then verses 8 and 9. Luke 1 5. <clears throat> there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Jump down to verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So if we knew when Zacharias' division was, that would give us some clues because we know when he came out of his time of priesthood, his wife got pregnant and that was with John the Baptist, and, and then Mary came. You know, you can kind of put some things together if we knew when his division of service was. But that was unclear. What you can tell by the, um, his priestly course was that of Abijah, and Abijah's was the eighth week out of 24 rotational weeks. The problem was that people did not know when did the rotation begin. So then when, when would the course of the priesthood rotation begin? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1948 gave the answer to that. So for centuries, people haven't known when was his, when was his time in, in the, the temple. The Dead Sea Scrolls revealed when the priestly courses began. So they counted forward from the date given on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they found that the Messiah was to be born on Nisan 1, the first day of Nisan. Then there are also dates given in the Talmud, the ancient writings of the rabbis, that a, that a scholar took their, those dates and he counted backward to find the date when the Messiah should be born, and he found that the Messiah was to be born on the same date. Nisan, number one, 6 B.C. Then there's an early church father called Hippolytus. He was born in 170. He died in 235 A.D. He wrote a document that is even now in the hidden vaults of the Vatican. And in the document, he wrote that the Messiah was born Nisan 1. And then there's the, the tabernacle of Moses, which is a type and shadow of the birth of Messiah. It took nine months exactly to build the tabernacle in Sinai. It was finished in the first month, Nisan, on the first day of that month. If we turn back and look at that, that's in Exodus 40. Exodus 40, 1 and 2. <clears throat> Exodus 40, starting in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. In Hebrew, it says, in the first month, Nisan, on the first day of that month. The tabernacle was symbolic of God dwelling with his people. So Jesus fulfilled the type and shadow of the tabernacle by being in Mary's womb for nine months before his birth on Nisan 1. And then if you'll go to John 1.14. John 1 verse 14, you know, it begins talking about in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So the word was Jesus, as we know. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word uh, translated as dwelt is the word tabernacle. Jesus became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, who had lived in eternity from everlasting to everlasting, took on flesh and tabernacled among men. One of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. So everything changes on Nisan 1. It's the true new year on the biblical calendar. The modern Jewish new year, Rosh Hashanah, is in September. But the biblical new year is Nisan 1. And when we're born again, it's Nisan 1 for us because we walk in newness of life. It's always day one for the people of God. He's the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. It's always day one. We wake up to new mercies from God every day. We're in the covenant of newness. So for Jesus to come at just the right time, the first time, everything had to be in place. The stars and constellations that told of his birth since God flung them into space from thousands of years ago spoke of his birth. Just the right time. The planets came together just the right time in 6 BC. Other things had to be in place. Mary and Joseph had to get betrothed. Their parents had to marry and their parents had to marry and their parents had to marry. God planned it all the census had to be demanded. Everything was in place. And so when the census was demanded, then Joseph had to come back to his city, the city of his forefathers, to Bethlehem. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem at just the right time on the first of Nisan when everything begins, when the calendar changes. So even though our Gregorian calendar is off, 6 BC, the Hebrew calendar is correct. Jesus was born on the first of Nisan, the beginning of the year, the first of the month, the time. He is a calendar changer. And that, that happened. You know, it's too bad we used the Gregorian calendar, but you can get both if you, you go online and get you a Hebrew calendar as well. So Jesus' second coming will be exactly as his first coming. He will be right on time. So all the problems we're seeing in the earth, the delays, the hardships, the wars, the weather patterns, it's all working together for his coming. We are in the mystery now of the second coming, but it will be just as perfect as the first coming. Jesus' return to earth will be exactly right on time. So then what about Christmas on December 25th? 
There was a pagan holiday on December 25th called the Day of the Unconquerable, Unconquerable Sun. It's the winter solstice on the 25th. It's the time when the day was the smallest. And because light was going to come out again, and then the pagans celebrated the sun, the light, and the world. And later they said, let's keep this celebration, but let's add Jesus to it. Let's do it for Jesus. And for that reason, some Christians and some Messianic Jews do not celebrate December 25th because they see it as a pagan holiday. The problem comes when they condemn those who do celebrate that day. Um, so that, so, and, and, you know, we lived in Israel for so many years, and many of our friends never celebrate December 25th because it wasn't his birthday. But some did, and sometimes there was contention there of those who did and those who did not. What do we do on December 25th? Well, uh, I suggest that we worship Jesus the Messiah just like we do every other day of the year. Hey, we worship him every day. He's worthy of worship every day, including December 25th. Many people celebrate birthdays on other days besides the actual day. In Dondo, Mozambique, where Tonic and Frost is on mission, the missionary that many of us support, most of the orphans don't know their birth dates. And so the, birth, the orphans that are with that ministry, they celebrate all their birthdays together on the same day, January 1st. So they have a huge birthday party for all these orphans, and they say, today is now your birthday. And we're going to celebrate. They give them gifts. They give them a little hat. I've seen pictures of it. They don't do much because they don't have much money, but they make it a special day for the kids. So um, I suggest that you celebrate Jesus on December 25th when most of the Christian world does. You know, it's part of the camaraderie of being brothers and sisters in the Lord that we celebrate Jesus when others do. Plus, we celebrate Jesus just because he's worthy every day of the year. But if you're convicted not to, then stand by your conviction. Okay? You can also celebrate his probable birth on the first day of Nisan. In 2020, on our calendar, that will be March 26th. So on March 26th, next year, I plan to celebrate Christmas. And that day varies every year. That varies every year because the Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar. I think this year it was March 20th, but next year will be March 26th. And the way you can always figure that out is you Google Jewish holidays and the year you want. Jewish holidays 2020. And it'll say Nissan first, you know. So, anyway. So. We'll sing um, again on March. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should. Write that down on your calendar. Sing again Christmas carols. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That would be a good one. So, um, I have this book with me. Y'all remember that we wrote this a couple of years ago, Living Faithfully as Jesus' Disciples in the Last Days. It's a book that Reuven and I wrote out of, Mar out of uh, Matthew 24 and 25, Signs of His Return. Now, we brought some today, and that's because we want to do this week, Reuven and I want to send an offering to Tonican's ministry in Dondo to help with the Christmas dinner for the children. What the children normally eat Rice and, and, not rice, they eat beans and corn mush every day. And on Sunday, they get to have a white bread roll. 
and a, a cup of milk. And that's what they eat. But on special days, they get to have one piece of chicken and some rice. That's what they will have on Christmas Day, one piece of chicken and some rice. So we want to help buy that. Oh, they'll get to have a Coke, too. That's really thrilling. And then January 1, we want to help with their birthday party. So there are a number of people that support the orphans, but they don't support these extra things because they're just not aware of it. So Ruben and I are going to uh, send a personal offering. What we do is we sell these books for $10 each, and we use this is the money we get to send. This part of our offering will be the sale of our books, and you know that that's usually what we do with our books. So if you want any of the, if you don't have a book, if you don't have a Christmas gift yet for somebody, the books are $10. We have 10 of them over here. Let's pray. We serve an awesome God. Just awesome. So, Lord, we are so, we're so impressed with you. We're so impressed how you, how you threw the galaxy into space and all these planets and stars and how it all came together to speak of the birth of your only begotten Son. And that there's a billion other galaxies out there with a billion other stars in every one of them. We cannot fathom you at all with our small finite minds. And we are just so impressed. We are so in awe. And you put all the details together to bring your son at the beginning of the, of the year to change everything. Jesus, thank you that you initiated a new covenant that is based on better promises with a better sacrifice, and you are the mediator of that covenant, and you've welcomed us into it. And your birth signifies the beginning that the covenant was going to be cut 30 years later, 33 years later with your own blood, and you're going to present that before the Father on the mercy seat, and you are going to cover all of our sin and forgive them, and remove them as far as the east is from the west. And we are so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that in the last chapter of Revelation, you said a few times, I will come again. I am coming quickly. And Lord, we see the signs of the times. We see them in Matthew 24 and 25. We see them in the earth. We see them as evil is increasing. We see them as persecution is increasing. We see them as the weather patterns have gone crazy. We know, Jesus, that you are coming again soon. And we know it will be exactly at the right time, perfectly, because your Father does everything just right. And so again, Lord, today we commit our lives to you. We belong to you. We belong to no one else, and we serve the Messiah and our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you with all of our hearts. We are so grateful for our great salvation. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for rising again and securing our salvation. We bless your name, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.